Hold, please. Hold. I know exactly what you're going through. You forgot the music. Oh yeah. I oh. forgot. The, I forgot the music last time, and it was terrible. Which one did we choose last time? This one is great. Night driving is okay. Night driving is okay. That's okay. what we like to do. Night driving, smooth, slow. That's it. Hi, dear viewers, and welcome to another episode of Casual. Dude, that was beautiful. We should just cut this out and just use it as an intro. Gashper, how you doing, my man? I'm doing pretty okay. Um, happy to be here again. Today we've got a very technical episode, so we'll be reading a bit. Spoiler alert. If somebody will be watching the video and you'll be looking at my eyes, they will probably switch from left to right, from right to left. Uh, but don't find it mesmerizing, just enjoy the show. Also, don't be afraid because we're going to be kind of jumping in and giving our like dummy fight takedowns of, of certain aspects. So it should, I think it should be a fun one. Huh. Also, in other news, Gashper and I are no longer co-workers, professional co-workers after two years. That's correct and very sad. But our amateur professional career has just begun. That's correct as well. I 30th mean, episode, 100 subscribers. Exactly. I mean, we've been stuck on the 100 subscribers level for quite a while, but I was told by multiple people that first 100 people to subscribe are the hardest to attain. So people who are subscribed, we appreciate you. Thank you for your support. And come on, call a friend, say that the Casual Bits is an amazing podcast and get us to a thousand. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's do it. Do you want to talk more about why we're not co-workers anymore? Do you want to talk about the fight in the office? Or uh, do you want oh, to no. uh, sweep this under the rug? <laughs> I'll just cheers to you becoming a meme as uh, being marked in our previous episode by our lawyer TC subscriber. I'll, I'll drink yeah. to that. I, I have actually become the meme at work. When some problem arises, there's a photo of me like this. Drinking my iced tea in a suspiciously small portion. And it says, problem resolved. <laughs> Regarding our work relationship, I think we could have a whole other episode uh, of, uh, about this and about us and about you and me and where we're going with our lives. But before we do that, please grab your mic and straighten it a bit because it looks crooked on the video <laughs> thank you so much thank you thank you so much i wouldn't be able to forgive myself if I... that went live wait okay no way okay okay let's go uh, so today's topic is merchandise t-shirts cups <laughs> okay this joke is getting old no we're talking about the merch the big merch that everybody heard of it happened on september 15 this is almost one this is exactly almost one month ago so we're <laughs> late to the party uh, but the merch was executed on september 15 and it completed the ethereum transitions from transition from the proof of stake consensus to uh, sorry i'm messing this all this uh, this all up so uh 
Ethereum transition from proof of work to proof of stake consensus. Uh, it brought in a bunch of benefits amongst others, the reduced energy consumption consumption by 99.95%, I believe. So almost a hundred. And this is the topic of today's podcast. The merge. The merge. Okay, so let's let's go through what happened in the past month. This was basically a long planned thing in the roadmap for Ethereum. It was delayed over and over and over again, which made like some people disbelieve generally in the Ethereum um, network, not just the cryptocurrency as a whole. And it was pretty interesting to see it finally come to fruition. Uh, so the merge simplified was joining of the original executional layer uh, of Ethereum, which is also called the mainnet that has been existing since forever. Its own creation, it's called also Genesis, with its new proof of, proof of stake consensus layer. I see we're going to be breaking tongues of the consensus today, both of us. And this consensus layer is called uh, the beacon chain. It eliminated the need for energy intensive mining and instead is enabling the network to be secured using staked ETH. We're going to go into more dumbified details in, in the continuation of the episode. And it it, it was a truly exciting moment to see um, and, and an exciting step to see realizing in the Ethereum vision more scalability, security and sustainability. So two layers, executional layer, mainnet. And the second one is the consensus layer, the uh, the beacon chain. And the transition from proof of work to proof of stake. And that's basically, well, the merge. The both, the both layers came together and proof of work was permanently replaced by proof of stake. And we have said proof of stake and proof of work so many times that we own our dear listeners. Well, an explanation. What is proof of work? Um, so proof of work actually uses something with an awesome name called Nakamoto consensus. And that's the mechanism that allows Ethereum network to come to, well, a consensus. That means that all nodes agree on something. They agree on things like account balances, transactions, and so on. And this prevents users from double spending, uh, double spending their coins, uh, double spending in terms of, um, well, hacking the network, if I, if I may say so. If we prevent double spending, we ensure that the Ethereum chain is difficult to attack or manipulate. And there's also a mechanism with an amazing name, uh, which upgrades a certain block to finalized block, meaning that in general cannot be reverted. And the awesomest name ever is Gasper. Yeah. <laughs> Gasper. Okay, they, they got this one. Gasper, they absolutely got this nailed down <laughs> after you. I really like the name though. So uh two two things that I would like to recap from what you just said uh said is the proof of work that utilized the Nakamoto consensus. Why Nakamoto? Nakamoto is historically important, at least for the um crypto tech enthusiasts, because um Nakamoto was the guy that, that wrote the Bitcoin uh, white paper all back in uh, late 2000s. Um, Satoshi Nakamoto, yes. Satoshi Nakamoto, to be quite exact. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I was throwing a blank in my brain. I couldn't remember. Was it Satoshi? <laughs> I saw it. I saw it in your eyes. They widened with panic a bit. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and the double spending part is also an interesting 
solution that already existed in the proof of work already is it's like imagine in your metamask if you're trying to confirm a transaction twice this is also what it prevents so it prevents mm -hmm. you from duplicating your transaction in in one way or another so proof of work is the underlying algorithm that sets the difficulty and rules for the work miners do on proof of work blockchains so just to be clear a bitcoin is still uh, operating on the proof of work uh, consensus mm -hmm. system blockchain and mining is the work itself it's the act of adding valid blocks to the chain this is important because the chain's length help the network follow the correct fork of the blockchain so the more work done the more work done the longer the chain and the higher the block number and the more the certain network can be um can be that the and the more certain the network can be of the current state of things so, so meaning more reliable true yeah and more also more more history right yeah um so the previous system which was proof of work at least for ethereum required miners to go through an intense race of trial and error to find the nuns for a block only blocks with the valid nuns could be added to the chain let me stop so, you yeah. nuns what's a nuns uh so nuns is an, the number used only once it's a abbreviation which we kind of love a lot in our in our channels oh wow number once nuns yeah number used only once and <laughs> it's not a complete abbreviation but yeah in in you know th this is also used in in um in programming la languages it refers to the number of blockchain miners need to discover before solving a block for the blockchain in the blockchain so in the proof of work when the miners are racing to create a block a miner repeatedly puts a data set that could only be obtained by downloading and running the full chain as a miner does through a mathematical function and this mathematical function in itself required a lot of power and some powerful gear mostly graphic cards which got insanely expensive a couple of years back and have retained the prices ever since so you have just mentioned one of the massive drawbacks and that's energy expenditure a lot of people who don't like blockchain and don't like cryptocurrencies criticize the networks and criti criticize uh, cryptocurrencies as the massive energy guzzlers because well in the proof of work world we need a massive amount of energy just to keep the network safe yeah. and um, yeah i've got i've got some statistics prepared and everybody who loves numbers will love this and just before you get into the statistics or an hour later i just have an interesting story to tell about you know um we were talking just about running a full chain uh you yeah. know so you have to have all the previous blocks and everything i remember when i turned up my client for i'm not sure if it was bitcoin or litecoin in 2011 and 12. i had a slow internet connection and i needed like three days to download the full chain locally through the uh, program client before i could even start syncing the latest blocks and even start mining bitcoin i had to have like everything uh set already downloaded locally and that was like gigabytes whoa wow fun times fun times indeed okay my statistics time i'm, I'm excited about this <laughs> i i dug deep for this so bitcoin expands a lot of energy actually it uses about 200 terawatt hours of energy per year and emits around 100 megatons of carbon per year and uh 
you also mentioned that we need some proper hardware to do this. And it's estimated that Bitcoin per year generates about 32,000 tons of electrical waste from obsolete hardware. And uh, we've talked about Bitcoin. Let's talk about Ethereum. Its energy expenditure is lower, closer to 110 terawatts per year. And I know that the numbers that I've just spit out mean nothing. I mean, what's 200 terawatts, uh, terawatt hours? <laughs> Let, let's put things into perspective. So myself and Robert are from Slovenia, a small country in central to southern Europe. And our entire country uses about 14 terawatt hours per year. <laughs> so that means that we're using a tenth of, of the energy that Ethereum is using. And for everybody from the US, let's use the state of New York as a comparison. And the state of New York annually uses around 143 terawatt hours. So it's somewhere between Bitcoin and Ethereum as far as energy consumption goes. Yeah, but hmm? even Bitcoin expanding like to 200 terawatts per year and having New York City as at almost 150 terawatts per year, it's pretty telling, right? Yeah. Okay, so amazing. Let's let's dive into the the merge and proof of stake even deeper. So, what proof of stake does is it uses mechanisms to achieve distributed consensus. In proof of work, miners prove they have capital at risk uh, by expanding energy. So, with proof of stake, validators explicitly stake capital into a smart contract. So, keep this in mind because we'll be discussing it later. Mm -hmm. And this staked capital then acts as a collateral that can be destroyed if the validator behaves dishonestly or, or lazily. So the validator is then responsible for checking that new blocks propagated over the network are valid and occasionally creating prop and propagating new blocks themselves. So to recap, instead of using electricity, you're staking, putting money on the line, also called collateral in a smart contract. This is what Ethereum was since day, day one. So smart contracts all around. Previously, your computational powers, mining in proof of work, did this job without much risk other than electricity costs and, you know, what, as Gashper mentioned earlier, graphic card costs. And now that's that's basically it. Well, it's not entirely free to be exact. To, to participate as a validator, a user must deposit some funds. To be exact, you have to deposit 32 ETH. And in the time of recording of this episode, that's around 42,000 US dollars. Hopefully when you, my dear listener, will be listening to this, uh, the 32 ETH will be worth around a million. Uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, but at, at, the, at the moment of recording, it's around $42,000. Uh, mind that you can actually join forces with other people and pull uh, but yeah, some money has to be has to be deposited to work as a validator. And you deposit this into a contract and you have to run three separate pieces of software. First, the execution client, then a consensus client, and at the end, a validator. Once you deposit your ETH, the user or you join the activation queue that limits the rate of new validators joining the network. So we have a uh, first layer of... Um, uh, first layer of control there. And once activated, the validators receive new blocks from peers on the Ethereum network 
and the transactions delivered in the block are re-executed and then the block signature is checked to ensure that the block is actually valid. And when this is completed, the validator sends a vote. It's called an attestation, call back to your previous and my current job, sort <laughs> of, uh, in favor of that block across the network. Okay, so in retrospect, under the proof of work, the timing of blocks is determined by the mining difficulty. Yes. So in proof of stake, the tempo is fixed, which which it's I'm I'm assuming it's a good thing, right? It is definitely. Okay, so the time in proof of stake Ethereum is divided into slots, into twelve seconds and epochs, thirty-two slots. So one validator is randomly selected to be a block proposer in every slot. So in all the thirty-two slots, we have one validator that is randomly selected to be. Uh, the proposer of blocks in every of these 32 slots. This validator is responsible for creating a new block and sending it out to other nodes on the network. Also, in every slot, a committee, a committee, committee of validators <laughs> is randomly chosen whose votes are used to determine the validity of the block being proposed. And this returns us to your previous claim around five minutes ago where you said that the validator can be punished if he behaves dishonest or lazily. Dishonest meaning validating something wrong and lazily not responding in time. Yeah, completely agreed. Yeah. Okay, we've covered proof of work, we've covered proof of stake. Let's summarize the improvements. We've got actually three items that are now better. Uh, first is the energy efficiency. We said that, that, that there is no need to use loads of energy on proof-of-work computations. And uh, maybe I haven't mentioned this earlier. The entire Ethereum network will now use 0.01 terawatt hours per year. That's 99.95% less than before. And instead of using the same amount of power or energy as the entire state of New York, I found this data, listen to this, uh, Ethereum will now use around 11 million kilowatts, not terawatts, per year. And for those who are now doing complex computations in their head, let me tell you that I found the data that the average household in the US is supposed to use around 11,000 kilowatt hours per year. So that means that the entire network, the entire Ethereum network, will use the same amount of power as 1,000 homes. Okay, that's so actually before, amazing. The whole the Ethereum. Yeah, before entire state of New York, and now one thousand houses. Houses. That's a city block. <laughs> that's basically all your neighbors right there. Right there, <laughs> exactly. So amazing, amazing uh, benefit here. The other one are lower barriers to entry, as you can pull resources. Uh, there are reduced hardware requirements because you don't need so many graphic cards. Uh, there's no need for elite hardware to well, just stand the chance of creating new blocks and therefore getting your reward. And uh, as a third item, we've got economic penalties now for misbehavior, and that makes any sort of manipulation very expensive. For example, the 51% style attacks would cost a lot of money. Okay, so before I would go into this 51% attack, um, I would just like to add, like, on, on topic of punishing the, the nodes. So, yeah, Gashper mentioned you can either stake 32 ETH and have your own node or join a pool. And 
is this might my, my um might sound harsh or not so let's say you stake 32 eat and you decide to be a node on your own so the if you're a legit person that wants to help the network and let's say your uh power line shuts down for a month you won't be punished as bad so the the costs for for being offline for a certain amount of time is not as big as if you would like be trying to um perform a 51% attack so we'll we'll get back to this so let's first see what or explain what the 51% attack is and this is basically an attack on a cryptocurrency blockchain by a group of miners who control more than 50% of the network of of networks mining hash rate owning 51% of the nodes on the network gives the controlling parties the power to alter the blockchain either so like let's say 51% i own everything of the 51% i decide look this block happened in reality it didn't this means i could manipulate what what's going on there and in both cases in proof of work and proof of stake the 51% is is possible but in the case of proof of stake it's much more expensive because you have to own 51% of the nodes so 51% of whatever nodes they exist so for each node you would have 32 uh eat needed to be staked for all the nodes and also since the proof of stake mechanism works that not all of the nodes you have might be selected for block uh creation so you would be wasting money and not even be randomly selected to like propose new blocks as they as they come so the stakes are much higher for those who want to attack but it's still possible can i illustrate this with uh, well a really dumb example it's like sure. <laughs> it's the same attack as i would do if i would buy 51 percent of apple shares just to prevent apple selling their products in slovenia to prevent you from getting a new iphone <laughs> yeah but you would gain basically zero and plus there's some even more randomness in this equation in, I mean, in, in... I would I would get fifty one percent of Apple stock. That's worth something. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's 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 true. Uh, so yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, the fifty one percent attack, as we explained, you you would own fifty one percent of all the stake it that are in the new proof of stake network, even though it's just two uh, layers merged, and they can use they their own attestations to ensure their preferred fork was the one with the most accumulated attestations which means we would be the one calling the shots i don't know and i hope that was pretty clear oh you you took uh you took it away from me i just oh, no. wanted to say and on the topic of calling the shots let's end this one <laughs> see you next time subscribe thank you everyone <laughs> <laughs> thank you people so, see you later bye